God, I just want the world to be better at listening. I think the moment we do that, we're just going to get on better because we understand each other. If we understand each other, you know, there'd be none of this nonsense going on. Hey everyone, I'm Sina Hagiha and welcome to First Serve. The path to live a fulfilled and abundant life is to learn, grow and serve. And that is what this podcast is all about. We will have guests on the show who are utilizing their skills to make a positive impact to our world. Together we can gain a lot of insights, expand our knowledge and apply our learnings to serve others to the best of our abilities. In this episode, we're going to talk about listening. Listening is vital for building meaningful connections. We can only truly understand someone once we listen to them. There's a quote which I love from the Dalai Lama which says, When you talk, you're only repeating what you already know, but if you listen, you may learn something new. And we're going to discuss this with our guest today. He's a truly inspirational person whose skills have had a positive impact on me, both in my professional career and personal life. He has worked as a London detective and hostage negotiator. After word of his immense interviewing skills spread, he was asked to become the lead trainer at Scotland Yard's National Hostage Negotiation and Crisis Unit. He has had experience negotiating with the Taliban, dealing with extortion threats overseas and defusing domestic sieges. His approach has had a global impact too, where he has shared his insights with the UN and the FBI. As the demand for his listening skills grew, he then went on to establish the Listening Institute to teach the business world how to listen like hostage negotiators. I'm really looking forward to him sharing his insights with us in this episode. Welcome to the show, Richard Mullender. Thank you. Before we dive in, I just want to give everyone some background on how I know you. So it was back in 2013 when I took part in your active listening skills course. And until this day, it is by far the best course that I've been on. And I've been on a lot of courses, but this one really stood out for me. It was so powerful and provided me with some skills that I can utilize on a daily basis. Whereas with some courses, you may not get the opportunity to apply what you have learned as frequently. So I really appreciate you for that. Well, thank you again. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So what I'm really curious about is how you got into hostage negotiation, because I can imagine when you were a kid, you weren't thinking that you'll be a hostage negotiator when you grew up. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how this all started for you? Yeah, certainly. I was um, a police officer um, working out of Scotland Yard, as you know, and I was um, in charge of the uh, advanced interviewing at that stage so I've been using a lot of these skills which have there's a big crossover between interviewing and, and negotiation and as I was using the skills um, a friend of mine approached me and said would you come and become a hostage negotiator and have a look at our course and I said yeah by means." and so I went across um, I took the course learned how to become a hostage negotiator started doing a lot of negotiations and then gradually looked at the course that they were running and changed it around a bit and just added some of the stuff that I knew and et cetera, et cetera. And so that's how I became a hostage negotiator as such. Are these skills that you had at an early stage in your life? At what point did you realize that, you know, I'm really good at doing this kind of work? 
I think the skills are partly learned and and certainly partly your past experiences. I always say that the best communicators, communication is about survival. And the best communicators, in my opinion, are those people that have had to survive something. And in other other words, had a bit of a tough upbringing. I always think that the most um, competent salespeople are tough, resilient people, kind of had, had a bit of a tough upbringing. They're quick. You've got to be agile. So I think there's a certain amount of it is life experience. And then, obviously, you know, these skills can be taught. And so you add that to it. So you add the actual skills. I think it's a bit – it's difficult to explain, really. More like um, you're really – you're good at what you do. I I was a good communicator, I think, but I didn't know what I was doing. And then someone showed me what I was doing, and it made me better because I could do it when I wanted to rather than do it by instinct. So was it the environment that you grew up in that really helped you acquire some of these, these skills? Well, I was born and bred in Brixton in London, which is a, a pretty tough area. And it was a tough area in the 50s when I was brought up there. And it was you, – you learn to know who not to fight, put it that way. You learn to know who not to upset. And I think it was a lot about that. So it's, it's, it is very – it becomes instinctive. You kind of think, mm, okay, I'll be careful here because if I'm not careful, this person could do me some damage, that sort of thing. You know. So it's that – so you become very quick and, and you think – pick up situations – you begin to recognise very early on, is this person going to fight me or is this person just shouting at me? Because there's a big difference between the two. And I think that's, they call it emotional intelligence. I think, in essence, all emotional intelligence is about is survival. Can I survive this situation? How do, what, situa- you know, what should I do in this situation? Should I fight or should I run? Or should I just stay still? So I think that's the core of my skills come from there, without a doubt. That's really interesting. Now, Today, we're mainly talking about listening, but why is listening so important? Why should we all seek to become better listeners? Oh, I think without doubt, it's the core of all communication. There's nothing else. Everything else depends on good listening. If you want to have a brave conversation, a fearless conversation, if you want to have an awkward conversation, if you want to do a negotiation, if you want to do anything, the first thing you've got to do is understand the other person and you'll never understand the other person by talking at them. You can only ever do it by listening. Listening is the core of everything. And as you know, and as, as we've discussed, and when you went on the course, most people have no idea how to listen. And that's why I think it's such a thing that we should be teaching everybody to listen properly, to really listen to the other person. Yeah, for sure. There's a quote by Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he talks about, as humans, we tend to listen to reply instead of listening to understand absolutely and and most of the time we're listening to the words and we're not really listening for the meaning the words and the tone of voice put together give us the meaning of what's really going on behind and once you get to that you and you can guess at it really easily but you've got to listen for it you've got to understand what's driving these words you know the context you're in the context whatever the situation is you need to know what's going on behind the words and you'll only get that by listening to them you'll never get it by talking to people yeah i find it strange how throughout my school years there's been more of a focus on on talking and being a good speaker mm. and there's not been that much emphasis on on listening whereas mm. when it comes to relationships being a good listener is a desirable trait to have so why do you think it is that we are in that situation as as a society it's is it because listening is seen as being too emotional maybe or yeah, I just find it strange yeah. how there's a lot of emphasis on being a good speaker, but not much on being a good listener. 
I absolutely agree with you. I, I, and, and I feel foul of this myself when I'm younger. You know, you, we're all taught to ask questions, uh, speak up for yourself, you know, get yourself heard, all of those things. You, you never, ever have anyone say to you, just listen carefully to what's being said. And a lot of people don't know what listening is. They don't know what to listen for. So I think we're not taught it because people haven't really thought about it in, in, in that depth, shall we say, you know. And you need to – I agree with you completely. I think um, every school child should be taught to listen properly, to really understand what's being said. And you need to do it from a very early age. And we don't. We, we teach people to talk. There's lots of classes on speech-making, debating societies – I've never yet heard of a listening society. So, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me because to be in a really good debater, to really to be, have a really good debate, to be a really good speech maker, you've got to understand your audience. And if you understand your audience, you're not going to do it by talking at them. You have to do it by listening to them. And so, how can you start to make a speech without understanding the audience you're going to make the speech to? It doesn't make any sense. But people do. They just write a good speech. They stand up. Who are you talking to? How are they going to approach this speech? You know, how do they feel about this? Are you trying to inspire them? Are you trying to motivate them? What are you trying to do? And, and all of that, it's just, we're all taught to talk. No one's taught to listen. Yeah, that's interesting. I think there's a lot of people who are in pain or they have anxiety or depression. And I think society tells us that we need to speak up when we have these problems. Whereas if we were better at extracting this information from people, we'd be able to help people in a better way and sometimes maybe people have reached out but because we haven't listened to understand that we don't dive any deeper and i think having these skills can actually help society in a massive way a lot of times is what happens is someone's got pain or they're having difficulty and we come up with solutions um, because we've dealt with that pain before or we've dealt with that you know, difficulty before. And then we, we immediately say, well, you should do this. But the reality is that they're not you. They're not me. I, I can't tell you what to do. I have to listen really carefully to why it's having that particular impact on you. Then having understood that, then and only then can I really start to come up with a solution with you. And most of the time, the solution will come from you, providing I listen for it. And sometimes it needs a bit of a tweak. And sometimes you maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to do this. But most of the time, the solution is there. People never come to you with a problem that they haven't thought about solving. If your computer goes wrong, you don't go straight to the mechanic and say, tell me what's wrong with my computer. You switch it on and you switch it off in the hope that it fixes itself. Everybody tries to solve a problem first. And then they go, look, but you've got to, you've got to listen to them. You've got to listen to them. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really interested to know more about your hostage negotiation stories. Can you share any of, of those with us? Hostage situations are, they're very stressful. There's no question about that. But generally speaking, they work out. If, if you're in an international one and it's political and they've already decided to kill somebody, then they're very difficult to deal with because they've already made that decision. Most of them, most people, if they do take a hostage for whatever reason, it will be they want to get something from it. And so they won't necessarily want to kill the person. So... But it's very difficult to talk about individual yeah. ones because, of course, as I say, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, there are the people are still alive. So what makes a good negotiator? Well, first and foremost, you've got to be fairly resilient. You, you've got to be prepared to really, you know, there's this thing about, you know, um, don't criticise the man that stands in the arena. You know, the critic sits on the outside looking in, but the man stands in the arena or the, or the 
person, a woman, stands in the arena and takes part. And I think with hostage negotiators, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot at stake, and and it's emotionally quite draining. You know, and it's, especially if you lose somebody, you know, then it, then it's even more draining. But so I think first and foremost, you've got to be fairly resilient. Then you have to be able to be a good listener. You've got to be able to listen because the people you're dealing with, you often you don't like them, and 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 you certainly don't agree with what they're doing. But you can't afford to let that emotion come out in your voice. You know, you can't afford to because a lot of the time, especially in hostage situations, all you've got is your voice, or or so all you've got to use. You listen with your ears, and you you've got to make that voice reasonable. You know, so um, and then mental agility, I think, is the other one. You've got to be fast because you don't have a lot of time to respond and they, they don't give you any time to respond. So you've got to be mentally agile. So a good listener, mentally agile and resilient, you know, be prepared to be abused because you're going to be abused. You know? That's another thing I want to touch upon was the time constraint that you have, because we can apply some of these listening skills in the workplace or at home. And we have time to work on that and to extract the information. Whereas in your situation, you don't have much time on your hands. So how do you deal with that time pressure? Well, sometimes, I mean, again, it's difficult, I suppose, really. You, you, you have to build a relationship very fast. You have to build some sort of trust very fast. And then you have to be prepared to take your time. I always think it's a bit like being a comedian, where um, if you get the punchline at the right moment, everybody laughs. And if you don't get the punchline at the right moment, it, the joke falls flat. And that's like being a negotiator. So you, you have to uh, judge the moment when you're going to make that appeal or whatever, you know. So it's, it's about that. But the time is so – it's you never know how long they're going to take. The shortest one I ever took was two and a half minutes, and the longest was – it went on for four weeks. So, you know, I've, you, you just don't know. The timing is – you just have to listen and think, well, hang on can I use that now or not? You know, and so, it's, so it's very difficult, really. And how much planning do you do beforehand? Or are you thrown straight into the deep end sometimes? Do you not have much information to go with? Yeah, the suicide interventions often are very quick. So you don't have a lot, great deal of time for planning. But how much planning do we do? As much as we can. That's the reality. If you've got time, you're planning all the time. There's no we don't call it downtime when you're negotiating. You call it development time, and that's that's the key word. There's no resting. You know, once once that phone goes down, you're practicing, you're thinking, you're trying to build some sort of tactic or strategy. But all of those things are great, except of course, as soon as you pick up the telephone and the person doesn't say what you expect them to say, you're back to square one, and that's where the mental agility comes in. But you're planning and planning and planning and planning in the hope that you get the planning right. And has there been any situations where you've been given the wrong information and it's leading you astray? Um, even even from the person you're negotiating with, right? Oh, I think, I think yeah, I think that there's, there's obvious, you know, they, they try and have you over in all sorts of different ways. But I don't think there's been one where it's more like you're not, a lot of the time you're not quite sure why they're doing it. There's, there doesn't seem to be a reason and so you kind of, you're fishing in the dark, really. You're putting forward ideas, putting forward suggestions, you know, you use, I get the impression, all of those sort of things. And you're thinking, where, what is this about? And then suddenly they'll say, you'll say something or they'll say something. You think, ah, that's what it's about. And then, so you, you initially you can be going completely down the wrong angle because you've heard something that you think is 
is where the problem is. And actually, it's the other way. And so it's that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So it's not so much you're giving the wrong information. It's just that they've gone off on a track and it's not really about that at all. So can you take us through some of the techniques you use or the different phases of a negotiation? Yeah, all, all communication follows a, a similar route map. Um, and, and the first one, of course, is preparation and planning. You have to do your preparation and planning where you can. And, and that preparation and planning is a constant throughout. So it's before the first meeting, before the investigation, et cetera, et cetera. And then, then it follows, everything follows. So there's a first meeting where you've got to make the right impression, you know, and, and if you get the trust right, you get the trust at that time, you start to get likable. So that's the first meeting. It can be in there. You, you can do all sorts of things, but that's really the key. Then you go into the investigation phase, and that phase is basically trying to find out what it's all about and why we're here. And if possible to find out, you know, the kind of motivators that's full, made them be there on that day. Then you come to the proposal stage. The proposal stage, their proposal in a, in a suicide intervention, of course, is that death is better than life. Our proposal, of course, is that life is better than death. And it's that. And so you've got to come up with a counter proposal to their proposal. So that's where the investigation is really useful because you've got to think, okay, that's what they're saying. That's why they're there. How can I make that work to, or to my advantage or turn it around to my advantage? Then you come to the bargaining phase, which is what a lot of people call negotiation. And then finally, you do the review. And the review is when you, you know, you think, okay, what's gone right? What's gone wrong? And you can do that in between negotiations. So if you have, if you've got maybe five negotiations in this particular deal, then after the first one, you're saying, right, where are we? Where have we gone right? What have we done right? What have we done wrong, et cetera. And that's, they're the five, they're the five steps. And, it, and you just have to keep thinking, where am I on these steps? You know, and what, what do I need to, you know, to fill in the other bits and pieces? So that's it. It's, it's every communication you do. If you're going to go in to have an awkward conversation with somebody or a difficult conversation or you've got to discipline somebody, exactly the same thing. First meeting, get that right. You've done your investigation. You know all about that. You know what the person's like. Then you're going to put forward your proposal. Then you get to the bar, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's important to point out that when we hear negotiation, we kind of think that it's to do with business, it's striking some sort of deal. But in reality, we're actually negotiating on a daily basis, whether it's with our managers at work, with our partners, with our kids. So negotiation is actually a key part of our lives. And if we don't brush up on those negotiation skills, we can get taken advantage of whenever someone says, I want or I need, you're essentially in a negotiation. Absolutely. If you think about, um, let's say you want to take your partner on holiday, you know, and you'll think, but you want to go on a particular holiday, but you want your partner to go with you. So you think, well, okay, I want to do scuba diving. Let's just say we want to do scuba diving. But you know that your partner doesn't like scuba diving. So it's not a very good start, but let's work on that basis. So, you, so now you understand the person, you think, actually, but they do like doing this, this and this. Right. So if I can arrange a holiday where they can do this, this and this, then I can do some scuba diving at the same time. And so you start to plan it properly. So you're thinking, right, this is going to give their, this person a really good holiday. And at the same time, I'm going to have a really good holiday and able to do some scuba diving as well. It's that kind of preparation planning. Rather than try and convince someone they should go scuba diving when they don't like it. You know, don't, don't ever invite me to go skiing. I'm not going to go skiing. It's cold, it's wet, it's miserable, and I break my leg. You know, I don't want to go skiing, but... If you wanted me to go to a nice place where I can maybe walk in the mountains, maybe visit a few old cities all the time you're off skiing, then that's fine. I'll do that. You know, so, so plan it around. You've got to convince me that this is a good holiday for me, not a good holiday for you. And how about some of the, the skills that 
you taught me on the course, like echoing, summarizing, mirroring, like some of the active listening skills. Can you talk, talk about some of those? Yeah, I think the active listening skills are really useful and they're also vital, but they're not listening. I think that's the trouble. You talk about what well, you're talking about our echoing, you know, instead of actually asking a question, you can just repeat back a key word in the sentence. You know, I was feeling really vulnerable, just repeat vulnerable, you know, and then of course behind vulnerable, there's a story and they will tell you that story. Stop asking too many questions. Just say, and go on, tell me more, those sort of things, you know, so all of those are available. But again, notice they're not listening. And even when you're summarizing back what the other person has told you to make sure you've heard it properly, all you're doing is you're repeating back their words or you can repeat back their meaning, but it's still their words. That's not the listening part of it. The listening is hearing the words. The repeating back is the talking part of it. And that's where the key comes in. I think that's where a lot of people make, that's the problem. When people are told about active listening skills, they think they're listening because they're using those skills. They're not. They're keeping the other person talking. Yeah. But I guess it's about trying to get to the underlying values and beliefs, right? To understand yeah. their motive. Because yeah. a memorable moment for me in that course was on the last day where we had to apply the, those techniques that you taught us and we got into pairs. And my partner was asking or was listening and I was doing the talking. And I was just surprised at how much I talked and how very little he asked me. So using yeah. those techniques, I was actually yeah. getting down to the emotions. And this is someone that I don't really have a close relationship with. I haven't talked to him about yeah. these things, but it was just crazy to see how powerful that is that you can uncover a lot from a person without even asking much. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's the key is that you don't, it, the, the more you, the more questions you ask, the more roots you give them. So imagine if I say to you, you know, tell me what you did at the weekend. And you said, oh, I went to the football match. The temptation is to say, so who did you watch? And already I've moved you away from what you were talking about the weekend. The original question was, tell me about the weekend. Now I'm telling you, I'm asking you about a football match. And if I support one of the teams or you, you know, you can imagine that, that we never hear about the weekend. We hear about the football match. Mm -hmm. Well, that's two hours of the weekend. That's all it is. But what happened to the rest of the weekend? You know, and, and that's, you know, I think that's the key is if you ask a really good open question and shut up and listen to the answer. Mm -hmm. yeah but i think that's the key and and of course the active listening skills enable you to keep the person talking without asking questions but we haven't got time to teach you them all now that's, <laughs> that's a day's course let's be fair Cena. Yeah, you know what i mean sure. <laughs> <laughs> so something i've noticed is that there's a lot of fear in us humans especially right now in these strange times as well isn't fear the main thing that prevents us from building trust and how do we remove that fear well fear is the greatest motivator you know if you're frightened of something if you're frightened of uh, starving we panic shop you know if you're frightened of covid we put masks on and we do all of this stuff you can you can see it all the time fear is our greatest mate. We, we we're doing stuff now we've never done before why because we're all as i say we're all terrified of dying i don't think that's the case but you, you get the idea of it is that we're we're being much more careful and it's about fear how do you take away fear? Um, honesty, uh, I think, is the key. Be really honest. Tell people what's happening. Don't treat them like fools. I always think, you know, people that patronise me, I, I look at them, I think, I'm not stupid. You know, I, I wasn't born yesterday. And you hear that expression a lot. And I think at the moment our government are telling us most of the stuff. I don't know what they're kind of keeping back. I have no idea. But you kind of feel, okay, you know, and, and they're having a tough time. 
and and they are having a tough time. And I don't expect for one second they meant, you know, to, to have the more people killed in this country than anywhere else, or you know, other than America. But do you know what I mean? But it's just one of those things, and I think they're doing the best they can, and we should support them while we can. I think that's that's it, really. If you want to have an argument about it, find out afterwards. You know, and then, and then just make sure it doesn't happen again. But we've never been through something like this before in our lives. No one has, you know. And we, so I think that's the first thing. So be honest, be absolutely honest. Tell people what's going to happen. Let people know, because I think the second thing, the biggest fear is, is lack of control. And at the moment, to all intents and purposes, we're being held hostage by COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have no control over it. We can't control it. And at the moment, that's why everyone's wanting to get this vaccine because because once we got the vaccine, then we got some some kind of control over it. But at the moment, we got no control, and I think that's the biggest fear. You build it by authority, so you, you know you, the fact that you know what you're talking about, credibility, all of those things will take away people's fears. Yeah, it's understandable. COVID is is we're all you can't see it. That's even worse, isn't it? Really, you know, you walk past someone in the morning, you think, oh, they got it, do I have it, and all that sort of nonsense. Just adding to that, now that we're living in a more virtual world and digital world where we're having to communicate virtually and remotely, how do we connect with people? Because it makes it it makes connecting with people even more difficult, especially when communication is supposed to be 10% words, 30% sound, 60% body language. So when that body language is taken away, how are we going to connect with people with the current situation and moving forward. I think the thing about body language is just rubbish anyway. I've, I've never I've never believed that for one second. I think that's just nonsense. If I wanted to negotiate, I'd much prefer to negotiate over a telephone because um, I can then concentrate on the words. The words are most important. Mm-hmm. You have to listen harder. I think that's the key. You know, you've got to listen harder. But it's always best if you can communicate with the person and see the person because you get some insight into the way they may be feeling albeit tone of voice and words will tell you much more but the, but i think I th- I'm not so much it's about communication it's about touch i've been uh, living now on my own for six weeks and i think the thing i miss the most because i talk to people like yourself i talked you know talk to my family um so the actual work that way isn't but it's touch i think it's touch the thing mm. that surprised me is how much i've missed being touched and i don't mean you know <laughs> or anything like that just, I mean, just having that physical contact with somebody. I think that's the thing that surprised me yeah. the most. Because talking down the end of a screen, you're looking at a screen and you can see all the body language on the screen. So it's not, that's not so difficult, but it's, um, it's just not the same. Yeah. There's no, no warmth. There's no energy. I suppose that's the thing. I think when I, when I run in a class, as you know, you know, I love the energy of the class mm-hmm. and I kind of, push a lot of energy in and I suck a lot of energy back from the class, you know, and it keeps me going. That energy that's the buzz that goes on in that classroom is, is such good fun. And when you don't have that, I mean, I'm doing some virtual workshops now and it's really difficult. It's very different because you're just looking at a screen and there's no energy coming back off you, you know, which is weird. So yeah, hard, hard. Listen, just listen. The little slips they make, they just make little slips. Just listen hard. Another thing I want to ask you is, as humans, we're quite irrational, especially in anger. So we tend to become quite stupid when we're angry. And you've probably dealt with a lot of those situations. And and we have cognitive biases. So each individual is slightly different. How do you deal with that? 
you have to accept you, you're absolutely right with the point you make is absolutely right every individual is different this idea that you can walk in somebody else's shoes is, is another thing that i think is just badly misunderstood to be able to understand somebody be able to walk in somebody's shoes then you've got to you don't walk in someone's shoes you can't walk in their shoes you have to listen to understand why this particular thing is having this particular impact on people okay let's have a look at covid again go back to covid19 and you're saying what's happening now is some people are finding themselves at home and they're loving it or they may not be loving it as much as they would but they're having a great time because they're kind of getting lots of things to do sorting out the house blah 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 other people are sitting there thinking oh god you know i'm on my own i'm terrified so it's exactly the same situation but look at the difference in the impact and you've got to understand why this is having that impact on that person because if you're the person that's having a good time what's the matter with you having a good time do this do that do this do that and and you're kind of doing the best you can but actually You've got no idea what it's like for that person. So every single person is unique. Every single person is unique. You need to understand that person. No one else, that person. And you'll only ever understand that person if you listen to what they tell you. So another thing I want to touch upon is the difference between like influencing and manipulation, because some people might be listening to the skills we're talking about and thinking, well, you could be using this to manipulate someone. So what are your views on that? Yeah, I think it's true. I think you can use them to manipulate. If you're that sort of person, you're going to manipulate. There's nothing you can do about it. All skills can be used for the good or evil. You know, they, they invented the atom in order to give us energy and they turn it into a bomb. You know, it, you can do anyone. You can't stop that. Mm-hmm. Um, you only need to look at Star Wars and you think about Darth Vader, who's a bad guy, and he was a Jedi, and Luke Skywalker, who's a good guy, and he was a Jedi. Same skills. just depends what you use them for. And I think that's that, that's life in a way. So what do you do? You say, I'm not going to teach you these skills just in case you manipulate people. <laughs> you, you can't do that, can you? No. Because you know, no. that means that no one's going to get those skills. Well, that's, that's just yeah. nonsense. But I think when, when it comes to the difference between the two, the way I see it is that influencing is for the greater good. Like you're, yeah. It's a win-win kind of situation, whereas yeah. manipulation, you're trying to screw someone over, really. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, um, but I'd I'll, I'll, I'll be interested. I think the problem is, is okay, let's, let's go on this basis. If you've got kids and you want them to go to university, yeah. do you manipulate them or do you persuade them? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, <laughs> it's a cool, isn't it? I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's it's a very when you say it's a thin line. It's yeah. there's, there's the the tools are identical. Mm. You know, it's just what's your intent? I think that would be the way I'd look at it. If your intent is evil, it's manipulation. If your intent is good, it's persuasion. But it's close. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to know whether these skills come naturally to you the listening or whether you have to keep reminding yourself because for me ever since the course I I keep having to remind myself when I want to do it but with yourself is that different or does it come naturally no no exactly the same exactly the same I'm listening carefully now to your questions thinking (laughs) right how am I going to answer this question no that's fair you know if I was having this conversation in the pub with you or something like that we'd probably it'd be similar sort of stuff but it'd be much more casual but no no absolutely these skills are there for you to use. You know what they are now. You have a huge advantage because you know what they are. You know how to use them. Now, you can switch them on and off as you wish. If you go into an important meeting, you address it slightly differently to having a chat with me down the end of a telephone. You know, it's a completely different context. But you can switch them on. 
what's interesting, I don't know if you found this, but someone will be talking to you and you're having a normal conversation and they'll say something and you go, oh, what's that about? And there's that moment where you suddenly switch it on almost. It becomes, oh, hang on. And you want to find out a little bit more about what they just said. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's when I think the skills become, when you've got a good set of skills, is when you're just having a chat like this and you think, oh, hang on, let me just come here. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And I think that comes, but it only ever comes with practice. Yeah. Yeah. So what has been your biggest observation after talking to all these CEOs and big corporations what do they have in common or what is the key ask that they're looking for they're all looking for an edge i mean that's the key they're 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 all looking for an edge but most business just gets by quite happily normally it's every day run of the mill if you say to somebody tell me the 10 best businessmen you've heard of they'll come up with 10 names but they'll struggle if you ask them for 50 they have no chance and that's the interesting thing you think about the population of the world and we can only talk about, say, 10 or 20 top business people, you know, and that's to me and they're different and why they're different and they have an edge. And I think a lot of it is because they really understand people and business and how the two work together. And I think the moment you get to that level where you kind of really centered thinking, well, I'm going to understand you so I can see where I can go then I think that, that makes a difference. The edge is, is communication skills. They call them soft skills. It's just not true. The great leaders, listen to Churchill do a speech. I mean, he wasn't a great leader, but he could inspire. You know, Trump, is Trump a great leader? I don't know. Will he get re-elected? Probably. You know, and it's really interesting. He's talking to his audience. Who's his audience? His audience in the Midwest of America, and they love him. So we can all, you know, you can sit back and watch these people and say, well, they're idiots and all the rest of it. And, and it's... It's almost an arrogance, you know. They're not that foolish. They're talking to the people they want to talk to because they're the ones that are going to elect them. It's what, it's what a politician does, you know. In order to become the president, you have to get elected first. Once you're elected, you can do all the good stuff, but you've got to get elected first, you know. To become a prime minister of this country, you've got to get elected first. And until you're elected, you can you can have all the great ideas in the world. Nothing's going to happen until you get elected. And a big thing, and this is another big thing I think is, you know, if, if you're a charity and you want to do good for the world, the first thing you've got to do is get money. You know, your job is to get the money. And then once you've got the money, you can do the good for the world. You can't do good for the world if you ain't got any money. And, and that's, I think there's that, you know, you, you've got to understand that. So know your audience. What can we all start doing from today to become better listeners? Oh, enjoy yourself. First and foremost, people are funny. People are great. Uh, no, I love people. I mean, it's so, there's such good fun to be around. I mean, I miss being around people, just enjoying them and, and seeing them doing crazy things. They're fabulous. So, first and foremost, just enjoy people. Uh, listen, you know, if the taxi driver wants to talk to you, just talk to the taxi driver. What's the big deal? You know, let them talk to you. Have a listen to them. Just work them out. Um, if if you're, someone's on their mobile in a phone, oh, well, so what? Listen to their conversation. If they're talking loud enough for me to hear, I'm only polite enough to listen to it. Don't get upset by people. Enjoy them. You know, and the more you enjoy them, the more you see the incredible um, variety of people that are out there. And then you just work them out as you go along. So you practice. Talk to the cashiers in the blooming supermarket. You know, just get to like people. Talk to the waiters in a restaurant. Just get them chatting, find out about them. 
my one tip to everybody is this be interested not interesting and that to me is how i live my life i like people they make me laugh <laughs> yeah you can't be unhappy when you're around people you really can't yeah i'll give you a little story just to finish i mean i was in the hospital and um every you know the doctors come around and do their rounds and they close the curtains and it's like they're meant to be soundproof. I'm, well, there's no such thing as a soundproof curtain. <laughs> and they, they just, and I'm lying in bed listening to everyone talking about all these illnesses. Well, you've been a drug addict all your life. No wonder you're here. You know, I'm thinking, right, okay. And then they open the curtains like no one's heard it. You know, it's like, uh, it's ridiculous, you know. And I love it. It was really funny. And I, I just think people are funny. Enjoy people. And just to close this off, I, I want to know a little bit more about the listening institute and your purpose and vision for setting that up how did that come about well i started off doing negotiation training and then and, and the more i did the training the more i realized that everything comes back to listening and in the end i thought okay i'm sufficiently you know made now in a way in my in my own way that i can really concentrate on doing the listening so we created the listening institute and it's about it's not just about corporate success for you know for the business albeit that that's really where we've aimed it but the more we can get that then the more we can start taking out into the world as well i just want the world to be better at listening i think the moment we do that we're just going to get on better because we understand each other if we understand each other you know there'd be none of this nonsense going on we just say look what's going on right oh that's why you're doing it okay that's the aim in the end thanks richard and i think that's a great way to end this episode thanks for taking the time to speak to us and Hopefully I'll see you soon. And no worries. <laughs> Look after yourself. Take care now. I think the key takeaway is that we should listen to people better. Everyone has their own experiences, their own stories, their own challenges, and we should seek to explore them to learn something new. We should ask good open questions and then listen and try not to diverge from the original question. I think we're all programmed to talk about ourselves, whether we do it intentionally or not. I'll give you an example. And you can look out for this the next time you have a conversation with someone or if you're just observing and listening into someone else's conversation. We tend to ask people how their weekend was because we know that after they tell us what they got up to in the weekend, they're going to ask us how our weekend was. So we're not actually interested in their weekend. We just know that as a result of our initial question, that we'll be presented with the opportunity to talk about all the things we did at the weekend. And I think that is one of the biggest communication mistakes as we have failed to explore someone else's thoughts and instead reverted back to talking about ourselves. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe so you can get a notification when a new episode is released. Also share it with your friends and family or whoever you think would be interested in this episode. I would really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to reach out to myself, you can find me on Instagram. I'll leave the info in the show notes and I'll see you all in the next episode. <laughs>